Now, we've been talking about house of miracles. This is not a theme for us. It's not a sermon series. It's just a season where God's reminding us that he's a miraculous God and that we can trust him for anything. Today, I want to talk specifically about miracles of protection. When God comes in and he protects you from danger. Raise your hand if God's ever done that for you. Like you, you saw maybe something really scary, dangerous happen in front of you and God was just there. I would argue, most of those hands went up, I would argue that there's been more times that you didn't know it and he protected you. How many of you though have prayed this prayer, something like this, God, if you'll get me out of this, I promise I will never do it again. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. Come on, raise your hand. You ever prayed something similar to that prayer right there? Maybe it was, you students, maybe it was like a test. You're like, oh my goodness, I forgot. God, if you'll just get me this time, help me. Maybe you got pulled over, you know, for speeding at God. If you just help me, I'll never speed again. I remember when I was 16 years old, my dad and I had been working in the garage. We, um, rebuilt the engine of a 1966 Ford Mustang, 302 Boss engine, muscle car, got it all painted, everything new upholstery. It was awesome. And I was hoping that was going to be my car, but he never would quite tell me until I got my driver's license and he took me out in that car. I remember leaning against the car and dad dangling the keys like this. And my hand was like this. And he said, son, this car is yours under one condition. You've got to promise me you will never spin the tires. I was like, deal. I'll never spin the tires. That's no problem whatsoever. I would have sold a kidney. Like I would have made a deal with the devil at this point. I mean, that's entrapment. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, you have just helped me rebuild a muscle car and you, t- I'm like, yeah. And so of course I spun the tires all over town, raced with other cars, all kind of just crazy, dangerous, foolish stuff that I wouldn't recommend until the car, the back end of the car uh, started breaking down where the axles and the gears kind of start to grind. And so I was, I remember, uh, when I would turn left and I would put it in gear, it would just lurch forward and just, you know, those, those gears were torn up from doing exactly what I promised I wouldn't do. And I stopped and I said, God, if you would just heal this car <laughs> before I take it home to my dad, because I knew he's going to know. And I put it back in gear and I revved it up and I eased off and and I was like, God, I'm going to pray again like the blind man who got healed the second time. (laughs) If you would just, I don't know how many times I did it, but I think God knew I was full of it. You ever prayed a prayer where you were full of it? I mean, because I knew, and God knew I was going to spin those tires again. And, you know, uh, sometimes he can, but he doesn't. We're going to get to that a little bit. Let's start with this awesome verse today. It's in Psalm 37 and 39. It says, the Lord rescues the godly. He's their fortress. Say the last three words with me in times of trouble. Now, this is just only for the people who created your own times of trouble. Say it with me in That was most of y'all, all all right? In times of trouble, God shows up. You know, when I think about some of the times of trouble I brought on my own self, I am certain God protected me in those seasons. And there's probably a lot of those seasons that, you know, I don't even know about uh, how he protected me. But I also know of some seasons and some people that God didn't protect. And I wonder why. Why did my friend lose his son in a car accident? 
You know, why did this person die of this disease when I've seen God heal other people? And I want to start with this reality. I want to tell you three things about God's protective miracles, miracles of protection. Here's the first one. Long before you face a problem, God already has a plan. I need to hear an amen to that. Before it started to rain, God already knew there was going to be a flood. He already prepared Noah. He was going to save his whole family. Before Jonah ever stepped foot on that boat, God knew there'd be a storm that they would throw him overboard. And the scripture says, God prepared a great fish to swallow him up and take him to the land. Before the Israelites got cornered up to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was about to kill them, God already knew, I'm going to part the waters and they're going to cross on dry ground. He already has a plan and God can send a protecting angel to cover you. He can send an angel to rescue you. He he sent an angel to clothe the mouths of hungry lions when Daniel was thrown into that pit. He, he, He did something, I don't even know how it was done, where three boys were in a flaming furnace. He protected them the whole time. In fact, he himself was there with them. We know that God can and he knows what's coming before it's coming. And he always has a plan. Now, I want to tell you a story from Acts chapter 16 where there was a demon-possessed young slave girl. She could tell the fortunes of people, and her, her handlers, her owners, would manipulate and abuse her for that purpose. And so these two early church Christians who were just spreading the gospel everywhere named Paul and Silas prayed for the girl. And she was set free. She was delivered. The demon left her. And that was wonderful for her. But her masters were leaders in the community. They were angry about this because they wanted to continue to abuse her and use her. And so they spread false rumors about Paul and Silas all over the city. And a riot erupted. And people tried to kill Paul and Silas. And we pick up the story in chapter 16, verse 22. And it says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates, the, the, the officials, ordered them to be stripped naked and beaten to within an inch of their life with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, let's set this story up because these men are simply doing the work of Jesus. They have just healed by God's power a, 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 a tragically tortured young girl. And this is the pay they get for that. Don't you think that when they started stripping their clothes off in public, the Bible doesn't say it, but I'm pretty sure Paul and Silas started praying like, um, God, do you see what's happening right now? Could you, could you heal this? Could you fix this situation? Don't you think by the time they started beating on them and blood is pouring down, they're praying. Maybe there's some bystanders. Maybe the, the demon possessed girl who had been delivered and was in her right mind started praying for them. And yet... It didn't work out for them. I want to talk today about the tension of when you're praying for something and you know God can do it and God has done stuff like this before, but this time he doesn't. Anybody ever wondered about that? Like, why? where are you at, God? Like, I know you can do this. You've done miracles before. Why aren't you here? So we don't know what they were thinking, but I know what a lot of us would be thinking. Okay, God, this religion stuff, it doesn't work. I'm quitting the church. I'm quitting my small group. I'm not going to be on the dream team anymore. I'm changing all my preset radio stations off of worship music back to the music I used to be on. I'm not hanging with these Christian folks anymore. I'm hanging with my old crew. Paul and Silas did not do that. In fact, the Bible tells us what they did next. 
Picking up the story in verse 25, about midnight, everybody shout midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Time out just for a minute. Now, Daystar does not have any worship services at midnight. We don't have any small groups that I'm aware of that meet at midnight. We don't do serve projects at midnight. I'm guessing the first century church was not doing midnight stuff either. How many of you know that sometimes... When you need God, you just have to break out of the religious routine and just go after God on your own. Man, you got to do something you haven't done before. I was just talking to someone who's praying for their marriage and they push back the plate. They said, I'm not eating until God moves. Sometimes you fast and you pray. Sometimes you get into the word. Sometimes you say no to the world. I don't need Netflix for a while. I need God's word. This is where Paul and Silas are. And in the middle of the night, they start just singing and praising God. They're not mad at God. They're not blaming God. They're not complaining. I've done all those things, by the way. Don't think I'm you know, Pharisee, holy, Mr. Perfect preacher up here. I've gotten mad at God. I've complained with God. All that, but these guys are not doing that. But the other prisoners are watching them. And then suddenly, that's one of my favorite Bible words. Everybody shout, suddenly. suddenly. All of a sudden, suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I mean, I heard some old preacher say, God must have been liking that music because when they were singing, he was tapping his foot and he made it an earthquake. I don't know how theologically accurate that is, but God can make the whole earth shake and the roof doesn't fall on you. It just gently breaks your chains off. It just shakes the prison door just enough for you to get out. that's, That's who God is. When I decide I'm going to trust you when you do it the way I want it, and when you don't do it the way I want it, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you when I don't understand what's going on. When I don't know why you haven't done what seems obvious to me, I'm going to trust you anyways, and God shows up. And, And you know, sometimes you can look backwards and see the plan of God. Maybe you're in the middle of it and you're like being beaten and you're going, this can't be God's plan. This can't be an all-powerful God allowing this to happen to me for preaching the gospel. Like in the moment, you can't see what he's doing. But 2,000 years later, you can look back and see that certainly, man, they learned how to praise God in the worst circumstance. What do you think happened the next time they were in a bad condition? I bet they were thinking, what was that song we were singing that night? What was that tune? Can we do that again? Like they learned something they could have never learned any other way. Maybe you're learning something right now when God's not answering your prayer. I'll be honest with you. I have gone to God in prayer and said, God, I don't know what I'm learning. Could you put me on the fast track? I want to be in the honors program. I want to get this lesson learned. Sometimes we're learning something and God lets us go through some stuff. Here's the other thing. The, The scripture actually says everyone's chains came loose. Did you catch that? Not just Paul and Silas. Let's just take, for instance, that God had answered the first prayer. God, let me slip out of this town before they throw me in prison. God, let me, let me not get beaten up today. If God had answered that prayer, then who sets the chains loose on the other prisoners? See, I'm convinced of this one thing, that sometimes you are so focused. It's just human nature. There's no sin in it at all. But we're so focused on what we want God to do for us, what seems so obvious to us, that this is the only view we have. And God, if we could slow down and hear his heart, God would say, I care about what you're seeing, but I need you to see what I'm seeing. 
there's something else I see. There's someone else I see. God, why would you put me in prison? God says, because there's other sons and daughters of God in that prison, and I need you there. Imagine you're one of those prisoners up in heaven today telling stories, you know, of the last Christian who died with coronavirus who just walked in and the guy's like, hey, did I tell you my story yet? <laughs> Let me tell you my story. I was the guy who was uh, in prison and who would have ever thought there was any way the gospel would ever come to me, but God sent, can you believe it, the apostle Paul into my prison. I mean, when you start seeing it from this guy's viewpoint, it looks completely different. Might it be that when God doesn't do what we think is obvious and what we're praying for, that God's doing something bigger than we can see? That God's doing something not just for us, but for everybody. And your situation isn't just about you. You ought to help somebody understand that. Say it with me. My situation isn't just about me. Okay, we'll say it again for those who don't like to repeat after preachers. <laughs> say it with me, my situation isn't just about me. Just in case they didn't say it, turn to your neighbor and say, your situation isn't just about you. It's true. It's about somebody else. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, if you didn't catch it online, Pastor Kip preached an excellent message about miracles. And he, he gave us the, sub, the, the supposal, supposition, that you are somebody's miracle. That it's not just waiting on God to drop a miracle out of the sky, but you're the miracle that God sent. And so they just did what the Bible calls a sacrifice of praise. They just praised him no matter what. I still remember when my wife and I moved to Coleman shortly after we moved here. And the doctors diagnosed her with a disease that they said she would die within a few years. And Leslie just started praying. And every time she would pray, the thought of her daughters being raised without a mother just would rip her heart out. She told me that they would be raised without a mother because I would not be remarrying. <laughs> she made that real clear. Okay. <laughs> and so every time she prayed, the fear and the thought, the image of her two girls not having a mom in that home just ripped her heart out. And when she couldn't pray, she learned to praise. Just on her own. You know, sometimes you don't have a preacher to tell you. Nobody wrote a book about this. You don't have a sermon to lean back on. You just go, okay, God, you and me, we got to figure this thing out. I can't talk to you without weeping and, and breaking down. And she just said, I'll try something else. God, you're worthy. God, I love you. God, you made the sun to shine this morning. God, today your mercies are new. And she just started praising and praising. And let me tell you what my little spirit-filled wife did. She praised her way into a miracle. And she survived what the doctor said she couldn't survive. Without medicine, without treatment, praise did it. So I want you to write this down because you're going to need to know this. One day when you can't pray, you can always praise. You can. Paul and Silas showed us that. I've seen it with my wife. Maybe in your own life, you're wondering, when do I praise? When do I worship? Well, I worship when I feel him and when I don't. I worship when I understand what's going on and when I don't. I worship when it's easy to believe and when it's hard to believe. And here's the, maybe the biggest key is I praise him before anything changes. I don't wait until it changes. I don't wait until it starts to change. I praise him before. Praise him for what he's done in the past if you don't see anything right now. Praise him for what the word says about him if you can't see anything happening right now. 
Praise him for what you've been praying for. Go ahead and thank him for it before you ever see it. And most of all, praise him for who he is. Do you know who he is? And this is my favorite thing to tell you. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the head and not the tail. The Bible calls him the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's called the day star. And we know he is the way maker who makes a way where there seems to be no way. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You ought to praise him right now just for who he is. If he never does one more thing, I'm going to praise him for who he is. And if he never does another miracle, and I live so long without a miracle that I can barely remember the last thing God did for me, if I pray time after time after time, and I get nothing after nothing after nothing, here's what I believe, that on the day I breathe my last breath on this side of eternity, my first breath on the other side will prove to me my faith was worth it after all. Heaven is real. And my future is secure in him. So sometimes when you don't know how to pray, you don't know the words to say, you can't summon anything to say. Just praise him for who he is. Just thank him for what he's done. Just remind yourself that he is still God. You know, God could have performed a miracle that day, but maybe God had a better plan. You ever been kind of running late in the morning? You're in a hurry and, and maybe you're on your way to school. Or work, and you're thinking, man, I can't be late. I've been late so many times. I'm going to be in trouble. God, if you could just help me to get there on time today. And then there's two 18-wheelers racing to see who could be the slowest. <laughs> and you get around them, and, you know, somebody else. And then there's a train that's stopping you, and you're like, why did I even pray? <laughs> well, you know why? Because there was probably something on the other side of that train track that you didn't know about. A split-second moment, and you being there would have put you and somebody else in jeopardy. But God heard your heart and knew something you didn't know. You ever thought for sure you were going to get that job and you didn't get that job? And instead of the misery of wondering where was God in it all, you praised God because God knew something about that job you didn't know. And He knew something about those people that you didn't know, and He knows something about you that you don't know. Maybe it was a relationship you were sure he was supposed to ask you to marry him. God knew something about him you didn't know. Maybe sometimes you can look back on that. How many of you in this room could say, I can remember when I was in love. She was the only one. He was the only one for me, and it didn't work out. And now, thanks to the miracle of Facebook, you go, oh, thank God. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Can I get an Amen. Don't point your finger. Somebody in the last service was like, amen. I'm like, oh. No, no, no. You know, God sees something you don't see. And sometimes the best answer to prayer, we say God doesn't answer prayers, but he actually does. And sometimes his answer is just no. Sometimes the best answer to prayer is no. And when, when he answers no, and we can't understand, we can't really trust what the details are of what he's doing. We can trust his heart, his character, his love for us. And we can trust that he has a purpose for us. And we're in that plan. And, 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 and that's why we have to believe this last thing in faith. I want you to write this down and let this sink in. That sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary purposes. See, all your plans 
are temporary. The brain that thought up the plans are temporary because everything here is temporary. God, on the other hand, is eternal. And he has a purpose for us. And so sometimes what you're looking at and you're just sure this makes perfectly good sense, this ought to be what we do, it's just not right. That has to be where Paul was. And see, this wasn't the first or only time Paul was in prison. Bible scholars tell us that Paul lived between five and a half and six years in prison. And God delivered Paul every time until he didn't. Same story is true of all the disciples. He delivered them, delivered them, delivered them, and then he didn't. They were routinely in prison. There's one story in the Bible where Peter's in prison. There's a prayer meeting for him to come out. An angel comes in, escorts Peter out the prison. While they're praying, somebody knocks on the door. They find it's Peter. Then why didn't that same God do that same thing for John the Baptist? I don't know. He, he delivered Paul out of many prisons. But then on Paul's fifth and final missionary journey, he was captured by the authorities and the emperor Nero tried him for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. Now they would have crucified him like they did most of the Christians, but Paul was a Roman citizen and it was illegal to crucify Roman citizens. So Paul was beheaded. I thought a lot about that this week and I thought, I said, God, can I look back with 2,000 years, can I figure out some image of why you let that happen to Paul. Why can't Paul live an old man's life? You know, after giving his life and being beaten, and had, Paul had so much stuff in his life. Lost his, it seems like historians believe he lost his family because he preached the gospel. Like, could, couldn't he just live a, a quiet, happy life? Why do you have to be in prison? But I realized that God was doing something that was for me and you. See, there were probably thousands of early church Christians praying for Paul because he had started churches all over the region. And y'all, if I'm in prison, I want y'all praying, but man, I really want first century Christians who faced lions and wouldn't renounce their faith. I mean, those are some powerful prayers, right? But they didn't work. Why, why is that? But I, as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, Paul spent his whole life traveling and preaching the gospel and raising up leaders and starting new churches and mentoring young pastors. But when he was in prison, he got to do the one thing he couldn't do when he was doing the, all that other. He wrote. And he didn't just write simple stuff. He wrote what becomes half of the words of the New Testament. The words that have shaped my life and yours have shaped this whole culture, this whole nation, this whole world. Because God said no to all those first century spirit-filled Christians' prayers because he had a different plan. And I'm so glad I have this book today. Paul wrote the book of Philemon in prison where he told that Onesimus, who was a slave, was going to be a church leader. He promoted him to a church leader. Wow, I'm so glad that we have that book. And in the prison at Colossae, he said, since you've been raised with Christ... Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Man, don't we need that in 2019? 
when churches don't know what we're about. They think we're supposed to get all tied up in earthly affairs and we're supposed to be just like everybody else. I'm so glad Paul spent some time in a prison cell in Colossae where he could tell us that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places and we ought to put our eyes on things above. Man, I'm so glad he was in prison that day. I'm glad that he was there in that Philippian jail when he wrote, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and given him a name, which is, does anybody know it? Which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm glad I know that. I'm glad when the scary things come at me, I know that when words like cancer and coronavirus and bankruptcy and divorce and depression and all the really, really scary names come at me, I'm glad Paul was in a prison one day and said, there is a name that is above every other name. And at that name, cancer has to bow, demons will run and flee. And at his name, all the world will confess that Jesus is Lord. Aren't you glad he was in prison that day? Oh, I'm glad he was in a prison in Ephesus when he finally said, unto him who is able to to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. When I pray God-sized prayers, when I need something I didn't earn and I didn't deserve and I can't do and there is literally no way that I can accomplish it, I'm glad Paul was that day in a prison in Ephesus when he said, God's able to do abundantly above all I could ask or imagine. See, sometimes God is delaying the answer to your prayer because he's doing something bigger than you can imagine. 